Hello, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connection through our favourite books. Uh, I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daruk people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Whenua of Te Whanganui Atara, where I'm recording today. This was a really chewy couple of chapters. It wasn't very long, but we really... I feel like we had so much that just came out of the few bits we did. It was one of those ones where I thought, okay, this is the big moment. And then it was like, oh no, this is the big moment. Mm-hmm. And like, oh no, this is the big moment. Yeah. It just kept going. Everything happens so much. <laughs> yeah. And it's so interesting because if you think about, you know, the Scorpio races is the month of November. Like it's not a long period of time that is covered by this book, but so much happens. So much character development happens. Yeah. I find that especially just thinking about it in terms of the three or so weeks that Sean and Puck actually interact. Mm. Like, they sort of catch each other a little bit before then, but then there's, like, sort of three solid weeks where they're interacting, and you're just like, there's so much that comes with that. Yeah, and it's, like, also an, a very heightened and intense interaction because there's so much at stake, and it's, mm. like, there are, like, Puck's emotions is really heightened, and it's just, like, what is going on? Yeah. There's the fear and the excitement and everything. So, yeah, it's a lot to drive them forward. All right, well, let's do our three bests, because I want to know what you did this week again. (laughs) Yes, we are recording again due to some technical difficulties yesterday on my end. That's just a thing that happens. And you know what? The things this week are desire and identity, and I think that was a really... There was a moment there where it really challenged my perception of identity and like mm. the work that I've been doing and just you know, how I reacted in that moment. So I will I will impact that later. <laughs> um, but yeah, so one of my favorite foods this week was that my colleague made some amazing white chocolate Rocky Road. And normally I'm not actually a fan of white chocolate, but this was just amazing. It had like cranberries and pistachios in it and it was just so Moorish and I probably had about four squares um, and I don't regret any of them. That sounds so good. <laughs> I don't like white chocolate either. It always tastes a little bit not right to me. Mm. It's fine. It's just there's that aftertaste. But yeah, the cranberries and pistachios might just elevate it. To... Sometimes I'll buy white chocolate because I like to have chocolate in the house. And if I have white chocolate in the house, I don't actually want to eat it. So it puts <laughs> me off eating the whole block. <laughs> but it's there in an emergency. Um, what was your best food this week? Yeah, so yesterday for lunch, I made a beautiful big bowl of pasta. We have this dish. It's basically fast food because it takes 15 minutes to make. We call it gnocchi bake, but you don't actually bake it. But you like dice an onion, you dice some bacon, you chuck them in a pan, you let them get all crispy, you put some cream in, like, I don't know, 300 mils of cream, and then you add some cooked mm, gnocchi yeah. and like frozen peas and curry powder, and that's it. And it's just really beautiful and super quick. So yum. It sounds so good. It's really good. I cannot overstate this. Put curry powder in things. Someone told me a long time ago to put it in macaroni and cheese, and I was like, yeah, right, but it really is good. Mm, how much do you put in? Uh, I just shake some in. I'm really bad oh, yeah. at actually using... Two taste. Yeah. <laughs> just do this one. Shake, shake, shake. That's yum. <laughs> so what have you been listening to or watching or reading this week? So because it was the Spotify wrapped week this Mm -hmm. week, you know, everyone just lost their minds and shared all their Spotify playlists. But my favorite thing about Spotify wrapped is actually just the missed hits playlist that they send out for you as well. Um, Because I don't listen to as much new music as I want to. I feel like I listen to the same playlist I made in 2009 that's got like Fall Out Boy and My Chemical Romance on it. And that's all I ever listen to. (laughs) Even though my like, you know, my Spotify top artist was Taylor Swift. So clearly it's not as bad as I think it is. (laughs) 
Fair enough. Look, I still listen to a lot of stuff that I had in my playlist when I was in my early 20s, and I think that that is perfectly okay. But yeah, so on this Miss Hits playlist, there was a song called Charlie by Mallrat, who I hadn't heard before um, or heard about, and it turns out, you know, she's an Australian singer-songwriter. But yeah, the song is just kind of about, like, declaring love and whether it's unrequited or not, and it was, like, quite sweet, but also quite sad at the same time, mm. and I've been quite quite a wistful mood this week, so that was just, like, really hit the spot for me. Oh, so good. How about you? Yeah, so I did enjoy my Spotify wrapped, but I disagree with it. It just so happens that the top song is the one that's like number one on two different playlists that I listen to a lot. And I was like, okay, that just tells me I need to start playing those playlists by pressing shuffle because I don't feel like that was accurate. (laughs) I mean, it's fine. It's a fine song. Uh, This morning I was listening to Joanna Newsom while I was Uh, noodling around, tidying things up and boy I still love her music I like the album Ease I remember very clearly getting on a train in Melbourne and and taking the train to Ballarat and just the all of that landscape the way that I felt while I was on that train it's something about her voice and that music and all the strings and the song Only Skin which is probably like my all-time favorite song oh I just love that about music how it can just like take you back to a particular you know place and time even it just evokes that memory and what was your best moment um, so yeah, my best moment is just that I'm dog sitting my friend's dog, Charlie, this Yay. weekend. And he is just a delight. Um, and he's nice and quiet mm-hmm. as opposed to yesterday when we attempted this. So that's good. I took him for a nice long walk before this. But it was just a moment where I went to pick him up from his house. His mum had already left. And um, I was really worried that he was going to freak out because, you know, I'm just barging into his house yeah. when he's home alone and taking him from his house. And I was like, oh, what if he you know doesn't like that but I have looked after him before for long periods of time and so when I walked in he was like very happy to see me and kind of like jumped into my arms and then jumped straight into my car and was very at home as soon as we got back to my flat and it was just like so lovely it just warms my heart that he just trusts me yeah I really did yeah and that was just my best moment and then also recording with you yesterday immeasurably improved my mood so it was it's such nice a great chat I'm glad we get to do it again like it's gonna be totally different and still a lot the same yeah I'm excited me too I think my best moment was oh my kids are wrapping up school so my daughter finished on Wednesday and and my son finishes up this next week and I am just like ready to have them here all the time my daughter was so great we went to Ikea on Friday and she was just like okay mom I got it in out we're gonna stick to the budget she didn't look at anything with those like little kid eyes like I need this (laughs) mommy please she was so good and then my son has been just amazing he wrote me this beautiful letter to Santa and I'm pretty sure he knows who Santa is for real like I just I it would not surprise me this is the kid who knew how to read and didn't tell anyone for like two years so I'm sure he he knows who Santa is but he wrote this letter to Santa saying he wanted a Yoshi Bumblebee car which I didn't think was a thing I was like oh how cute what am I gonna do I google it it's a thing Mm -hmm. it's literally (laughs) for real a thing so it's now coming hopefully it will be here for Christmas but I am so excited I'm very impressed that you tracked it down I just googled exactly (laughs) what he wrote on his letter apparently it's on Mario Kart I don't know oh I see I do have Mario Kart so I should probably know that we have the Mario Karts for DS 3ds and switch Mm, i love my switch yeah they are so good (laughs) it's just so delightful everything about the switch is delightful it's not intense like i've also got a playstation and i do things like download i don't know halo i'm like why have i downloaded this i cannot play first person shooters i cannot walk and shoot at the same time it's a (laughs) fundamental issue 
And then I try to play and I'm like, this is just stressful. Mm, I still like side scroll. I've been, I've been a fan of Mario for so long. I think my favorite game on PlayStation is Lego Harry Potter. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> oh, so that's the level I'm gaming at. Okay, that's enough shame for now. Shall we get into the summary? There's of the no shame. <laughs> Um, yes, let's do the summary. Uh, why don't I read for Puck this time? That sounds great. Okay, so in chapter 28, Puck has a memory of the one time she attended the Scorpio Festival before. She and Finn and the Carol Brothers head into town. And chapter 29, Puck and Brian search for and find Gabe at the festival. It's not a great conversation, and Finn sells the Morris. Chapter 30, Sean encounters the Mare Goddess, feels cold, there is magic here, and recognizes the Mare Mutt Malvern will be riding is the Piebald Mare. Chapter 31, Sean tells Mutt that the Piebald Mare will kill him. In Chapter 32, Pux gets to the Riders Parade with Elizabeth's help. Sean speaks in her defense, and she is allowed to bleed on the rock, and she is officially official again. Because patriarchy. <sighs> the patriarchy. Um, I had the identity section. You had the you had the desire section. Yeah, we both had a lot to say. So why don't you start us off on desire? Okay, I like that we're both choosing our own sections now because we still get two themes a week, but then we get the opportunity to sort of dive deep on one and also note things that we want to talk about on the other one. Mm. And um, I had a lot of fun looking at desire this week. I thought it was really, it's such an interesting way to read a book, right? Mm -hmm. Because everybody wants things. Desire is like very present in the human condition. Yeah. And all of the things that we want, we are trying to get to or we're feeling that we're not getting them and there's definitely something to be said about people wanting more than they should want mm-hmm. i know i've spoken before about how scarcity culture like the idea that we never have enough sleep enough time enough resources enough stuff and that's actually really damaging and yeah i think we've drawn the comparison before between puck and people who leave thisby versus people who stay in thisby and like the thing that puck has is that she has enough mm. for the most part she feels like Thisbe is enough. If she had, you know, a house and enough food, it would be more than enough for her. Yeah. And that's the thing that kind of drives unhappiness, right? Is this idea that you're always chasing something else. It's like, if only I can have that job, I'll be happy. If only I can have that thing, I'll be happy or, you know, whatever, whatever. And that's what I think people who go to the mainland maybe feel like they feel discontented on Thisbe and they're like, well, if I go to the mainland, then... I'll be happy. Exactly. And the thing that I really thought about when I was looking at Desire was why now are the two main characters, Sean and Puck, what are their desires? They're driving some change. Mm-hmm. And we see that in Sean. He's starting to realize that not getting the credit for all the work he's been doing for the Malvern Stables, he wants that credit now. He looks at this advertisement and it says, Malvern Stables, four-time winner of the Scorpio races, uh, auction Thursday, 7 a.m. And he's like, that's my business. But my Mm. name isn't anywhere on it. So you get this feeling that he's this really strong indication that he's not getting what he wants. And he's starting to want more than just a roof over his head and reins in his hand. Yeah. And he said that a couple of times, right? Where he's like, when he was in the tea shop with Malvern Mm. as well. And he's like, usually when he hears that he's writing core, that's fine. And that's enough. But now he feels like he's still waiting for something. So there's definitely... Uh, dissatisfaction in him yeah and like I want more for Sean we see this poor kid who's like absolutely orphaned and profoundly alone and we just want to like give him a hug or like tell him it's going to be okay or like maybe pull a Dory mod and yell at him a little bit but give him some bacon (laughs) to take home I don't know yeah 
Like he needs something. Mm. Um, and for Puck, I just think there was so much about what she wants that didn't go right this time. So she really wanted to talk to Gabe. And then when she got there, it did not go the way she wanted it to go. Because Gabe wants something that Puck doesn't want him to want. Yeah, yeah. And she's really struggling to understand that. So she wants him to want to stay. She wants him to only be going to the mainland for some reason that she can solve. Mm. And I don't think that even if there were a solvable reason, he would stay. Like if it was money and she won the races, that's still not going to make him stay, right? So... He wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't occur to him that it would just mean that he could leave more easily. Mm. But I don't think Puck really understands that. She just can't get it on like a cellular level. You know, she wants to be with her family. That is one of her key desires, right? Like she wants the family together. So the idea that Gabe doesn't want to be with his family is just Mm. completely unfathomable to her. Yeah. And fair enough that it's so difficult to comprehend. Like, I really want to go back and raise Gabe and teach him to be a little bit kinder to Puck. Because I don't like the way that he's speaking to her. And my inner mom comes out and goes, that is not kind or right. You need to talk to your sister in a better tone of voice. I don't know how he ended up that way. I think there's a lot of unprocessed trauma there, right? Yeah, for sure. My feeling is that he has wanted for a long time to leave Thisbe. Mm. And his parents' death is what has prevented him for the last year from leaving Thisbe. Like, he might have been planning to do it before, but this last year has been so hard it solidified it. Yeah. But he just wants away from that legacy, whatever it is. He doesn't want it. Interesting. I think that Puck not seeing that is a function of her wanting her family to continue being her family. And home continuing to be home. Yeah. What what you want isn't necessarily what's right. And what you want to be true isn't necessarily what's going to be true, I guess. Yeah. Which is an interesting point of desire as well. It's like, you know, you could want something all you want, but it's actually you have no control over it. Yeah, everybody's had that bad boyfriend or bad girlfriend, right? Yeah. Like, they're just impossibly amazingly hot, but also, like, so bad for you. But it's all part of the journey, and we learn through these things. Yes, we do learn. (laughs) Mm. Can we talk about how much Puck is... She sees Sean, and that is the biggest precursor. Like, she talks about how her pulse goes a little bit, whatever. She always spots him, and she's looking at him when she says there, or that one. Like, people around her notice her noticing him. Yeah, she's very much, I feel like she's always looking for people, like she's looking for Gabe, she's looking for people, but she knows, always knows where Sean is. She just Mm. spots him in a crowd straight away, and she has the most amazing description of him in this chapter, or this section, I guess. And it was just kind of like, this is the section where I really fall in love with Sean, because of the way that she's just fixated on him. Where's the line? Read the line out. So she describes him going out onto the rock, and she says... He has blood smeared across his sharp cheekbones, and the way he looks is at once striking and disturbing, harsh and godless, weary and predatory, like someone who would climb this rock back when it was a real man whose blood they spilled on it, not just a bowl of sheep's blood. Hardcore. I'm here for it, though. So atmospheric as well. Yeah. You know, like that whole like thing that they do. <laughs> It's so atmospheric. You can feel the heat of the bonfire. Like, I always think he's through this wavy heat and, like, there's so much smoke and the temperature difference between the wind coming off the cliffs and the heat of the bonfire, like, really messes with your head. Yeah, I mean, she talks, like, she describes it as feeling like her head's feeling swimmily and all Mm. these things. I'm like, yeah, you can feel it. You know, you can, it reminds me of when you're sitting around a campfire and you keep trying to move out of the smoke, but it just keeps following Following you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wonder why all of the people around Puck all of the adults, like the farmer in the butcher and Elizabeth in this chapter, she just, just, they're like, no, you're not going there. 
that guy is mm. not good news. Like, is he really that bad of news? I wonder. You know, everyone obviously respects Sean. He's got a like a great reputation. He's good with the horses. Everyone defers to him on mm. all things to do with the horses. But there's also a reluctance because he's kind of an other still. He's still yeah. an outsider out of his own choice. You know, he yeah. keeps himself that way. But I wouldn't describe him as like, he's not a troublemaker. He's not bad news like that. I would feel like they would be saying that more about someone like Tommy Falk or even yeah. Matt Malvern. Yeah, I mean, I, I get the feeling Puck kind of views all boys as like annoying and troublesome, unless they're her brothers, and then she's allowed to think that because they're her brothers. <laughs> yeah. Um, but everyone else is sort of beneath notice, except she's now noticing Sean Kendrick. And she's noticing him quite a lot. And also when he says his name, right? And she describes it as like feeling heavy, like her feet are being pulled into the rock below. Yeah. You know, he's got such a grounding effect on her. He's making her more of the island. I wonder if it's also because they kind of both saved each other's lives. So now there's like, if we think about Thisbe and the magic of Thisbe, right? Which really comes through in this section. It's all about the mere goddess and what Thisbe is and the heritage and like the paganism around that. Sean goes in to save her on the beach on that first day and then she pulls him out as well. So mm. they kind of save each other. And maybe Thisbe's been like, yeah, you two linked forever because of this thing that yeah. you've done. Yeah, I wonder if there is something to that. Isn't there this idea of like, I've saved you, I leave my life kind of thing? Like that's a really Yeah, common... life date. Yeah, yeah. But they each have that to for each other. I was wondering about Sean using magic. I think that's another form of desire. Like he wants it so much that it's accessible to him. Yeah, that's interesting. Because he uses it on the regular horses as well. Like he's whispering to the horses in the gallops in order to get his mount to win that race against Mutt. And I think that's part of the magic. Whispering is part of the magic. The things he says is part of that. So just an aside, but I want to see, I want to look for more magic that he's using. And I wonder how he learned it and why he uses it even on non-magical entities. That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, definitely going to keep an eye out for that. I also think it's interesting that Puck now, you know, originally when he tells her, you know, keep this pony off off this beach, mm. she's kind of like annoyed by it. She's like replaying it. She's grumpy. She's embarrassed. Yeah. But now in this section, she refers to it. She mentions it like, you know, he told me to keep my pony off the beach when no one else would speak to me. So she's yeah. almost reframed it. Yeah. She's changed her um, perspective on it. But he did give her the tip about the cliffs, right? He did say you, you can train within 150 yards of the shore. Like, these cliffs will do. And he even said in that moment, like, I don't even need to be here. It's just her and her epiphany. <laughs> so good. I've definitely had those moments where I'm standing there and I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> and like everyone around you is like, oh, the penny just dropped for her. Okay. <laughs> We've all known this, but okay. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. happens way too late for me all of the time. And let's talk about the shell. So the mare goddess, she turns up. She's an unknown figure. She's a woman. She has in her hands a shell and she like sort of throws sand all over the island and the shell is in the sand. And if you find the shell and pick it up, you get your wish, which is just sort of the representation of desire itself. But this year, as you pointed out yesterday, Sean gets the wish because she actually comes up to him and talks to him and says, make another wish. Mm. And so when they're discussing up at the rock, all the men are like, no one got the shell. Yeah. But I wonder what Sean's wish is. 
Yeah. Now, I wondered what his first wish was. And when he made that, because he was still with his father at that point. His father was still alive. Mm. So he wouldn't have made, a you know, any of the wishes that you would expect, like, an, an orphan child to make, right? Yeah. And I guess he would have wished to win the races or... Because he says, you know, I've received it many times over or whatever it is. So yeah. That's probably the logical thing. I think it might be winning the races. But then when she asks, has it made you happy? And he kind of goes, well... I mean, happiness is a hard thing to come by on Thisbe. It doesn't grow here really well. I thought that's a really interesting way of putting it. But that's that's another thing. Like, the happiness isn't always the end goal of something, right? No, contentment is, right? Yeah. So people often conflate this idea that once I'm happy, I'll be content or that sort of thing. But you actually need to be content to be happy. Yeah, it's about finding things that bring... I think satisfaction is a better way of, like... Mm, I have to be able to look at the end of my day and say, am I satisfied with today? Yeah. And that's very different than am I happy? Because sometimes I can have a really terrible day. Have I done all that I can reasonably do? Yes. Am I satisfied with that? Yeah, okay. Yeah, and, like, you know, happiness, it's fleeting as well. Like, you're not happy all day. This idea if you ask someone are you happy, like, no, my emotions are like this. Like, I can't imagine any person is happy all day. Yeah, I actually do this with my family a lot because my kids have very extreme emotions. We all have very extreme emotions in this household, but they especially do. And sometimes it'll be like, oh, my day is ruined because of this small inconvenience. And I'm like, okay, but let's actually think about all the things we did today and what part was good. And, you know, this tiny inconvenience, how big of an impact is it really going to have? And reframing that for them. Mm. And I think Sean is actually very mature. Like we've all, we've discussed before about Sean being way older than his 19 years. Yeah. And I think this is just another moment of that. Like it's a very mature thing to be like, am I happy? Well, happiness is a hard thing to grow. Yeah. Is it really as essential for me to be happy? Do I need to be happy? Or is contentment, satisfaction, hard work? Is like, pride in my work. <laughs> yeah, pride. Oh, especially the pride in his work. I think he's now at the point where he wants acknowledgement. Yeah. And maybe that's what his wish would be. Yeah. I want to keep thinking about what his wish might be. And I wonder when you can spend it. Because he says yeah. it was oh, formed yeah. before he even had the shell in his hand. He had the wish already. Do you think it's maybe, you know, what he said before about having core and being free of Malvern? Like, is that mm. the idea that he could just... <laughs> have that but then he also wants recognition as you've pointed out and having yeah. just core doesn't give him that anymore no it wouldn't so i think pre-meeting puck him having core and being free of benjamin malvern would have been enough mm. i think his desire for things to change i think that's going to grow a little bit and change in the next few chapters i'm really excited to see how it goes for him i really want to see we have one more major stake change coming up i know and i i've been trying so hard not to think about it but it's gonna be a big one so much happening it's so much all of the time yeah really is i put down two points i think are pretty important like i think sean is starting to really understand that what he wants is getting too big to keep wishing away that's interesting i think he's outgrowing his current circumstances that's fair and i think you know he's been in those circumstances for a long time and i think he's really feeling the burden of his circumstances like having Mm. to babysit muck all the time and having to do all these things yeah let's talk about that that was a huge revelation because we'd known that he picks mutt's horses to be safe but in this section he talks about how he has run interference on the beach so that mutt can train he's actually trained the horses so that mutt can't screw up fatally he has two ribs that were broken and healed that Mm. should have been mutt's like this is not someone who picks a horse once a year this is somebody who has been basically babysitting their peer for the last five to nine years yeah i'm not sure 
sure that Mutt even realizes the amount of work that Sean's put in. Because when Sean mm. says, you know, I, I spent all that time training Mutt's horses to so that they would resist the lure of the ocean. Like, that is a big part of the Scorpio races, right? Is like getting your horse to not take you into the sea. Yeah. And the fact that I think Mutt just takes that for granted and he has no idea that Sean's put in all this work because absolutely Melvin told told Sean to keep Mutt safe and that's part of his job and Mutt is just so it's just the ultimate privilege yeah because he doesn't realize how much work goes into propping up his status right yeah it's really easy to be the seeker on the second as a second year if your father buys your whole team new brooms but whatever yeah Malfoy (laughs) I just love sending you memes with Malfoy on them and being like is this Mutt is this Mutt Melbourne (laughs) Spot the difference between these two pictures. They're the same picture. Um, yeah, we were talking about what Puck values in Sean or what appeals to her. Yeah, so what, I mean, other than his amazing cheekbones and the fact that he makes her more rooted to Thisbe, I do think that she sees in him this ability to be contained. Yes, and um, I'm just going to read this line again. So on page 166, she says, All I know is that Sean Kendrick rode that bay mare and waited until he was nearly over the cliff edge before saving himself, and that the dead speak more than he does. So good. So good. And I thought at one moment she's like, oh, he's an idiot because, like, he doesn't speak and I can't get any words out of him. And, like, (laughs) he he almost, like, killed himself on that horse. But then when you read it again, it's like, oh, I think she actually really likes those things. Yeah. He's brave and he's wild, just like she is. He likes horses, just like she does. Well, he's trying to get that horse to go in one direction for as long as humanly possible before he finally has to throw himself to safety, Mm. which is a very puck thing to do. And the polar opposite of Gabe, who's just basically counting time until he can ditch his family and, like, bugger off to the mainland. And makes, like, no effort, right? So, like, Mm. Sean... In that scene where he does ride the bay mare, he talks about he hates releasing horses that he's put work into, right? Because yeah. it's wasted work. And Gabe is kind of, you know, he I'm must have put time. time, man. <laughs> he's put time into his family, presumably. And he's like, ah, oh, well, whatever. That's a write-off. Like, what? Yeah. And also not telling them about the house. Yeah. I mean, okay, let's talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so whatever he thought their reactions would be, he was afraid of telling them. And that's why he didn't want to tell them. Like, his desire was to avoid the discomfort of that interaction, which is why he tries to put Puck off and is never home, even though she's, like, literally putting herself and Dove in danger to spend more time with him. And then he's like... He just doesn't even bother to come home. He's like, oh, I come home. It's like, no, you don't. You don't come home. Yeah. Three hours from midnight to 3 a.m. is not coming home. That's not having dinner together. That's not spending time with your family. The thing that really got me is just how much he makes Puck work for his attention. Like he she's standing at his, you know, at his table and he doesn't even look at her and he, he forces her to, you know, make that first move and like say his name. And then he's like, oh, Puck. Like it's so disrespectful. He does. He makes her chase him. He's just a bad boyfriend. I know that this Mm. is a sibling relationship, but every bit of it is screaming like, bad boyfriend, run away, toxic relationship. Yeah, she keeps pouring in effort and expecting a different result. And he's just every time giving her nothing. Yeah, and making her feel crazy. Like there's a lot of gaslighting going on here. Like, oh, you're hysterical. And she's like, but I'm not. Like genuinely, if I were about to become homeless and the person who was supposedly in charge of the family had not told me that, I would be livid. And I also just don't get his reasoning. Like, 
it was gonna happen. He's like, well, you know, you and Finn weren't gonna make more money, so whatever. I didn't see the point in telling you. And then I'm like, and you're leaving for the mainland. So what's gonna happen when Malvern eventually just turfs them out? Or do you just decide that you don't care because you're not on the island and therefore it's not your problem? But they're your family. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> like he's. We talked about this yesterday, but I think part of the problem Gabe has, not to play devil's devil's advocate here, but part of the problem Gabe has is that he looks at them and he sees inability to do what he wants. He sees the mortgage that he can't keep up. He sees, we talked about Puck's resemblance to her mom yesterday. She looks Mm -hmm. so much like her mother. She she even says, I'm wearing my mother's face and I have her hands. How much Mm -hmm. of that is Gabe looking at and saying like, you guys left me in this mess and now I have these two dependents and... I think that his brother and sister, instead of being family, they have just become burdens, physical embodiment of all of his issues and problems. Mm. He can't care about them because he just doesn't have the emotional room. Yeah. It's not right, but I think that's where I landed on it. I was wondering if maybe, you know, you've said before that you thought that Gabe always intended to go to the mainland and now this was just a delayed thing because the parents have died. Um, I wonder if that he might have had a conversation with like his dad or his mum before all of this, when they were still around being like, I'm going to go to the mainland. Maybe they had a big fight about it, being like, you can't go, whatever, whatever. Like maybe there's unresolved tension there as well. Especially if you consider how clannish Puck is. I mean, it feels like she grew up in the family and the family was always like, well, we come first. Yeah. I can see that Gabe might have been chafing against that for a really long time without even realizing it, Mm. without Puck realizing it anyway. And I just think if you think if maybe they had a a fight about that, like he fought with his parents about wanting to go and maybe some harsh words were exchanged or something. And now he feels like it's the ultimate revenge. Like, you know, he's stuck here with his siblings and it's like, wow, you got the last say dad or something like that, you know? (laughs) Yeah. He needs to grow up. He's, it's like Gabe has none of the maturity that he needs to actually go, but Sean has all of the maturity and no one to interact with for it to benefit. And I I keep struggling to remember that, you know, Gabe is like 22, 23. Yeah. He acts like a 15 year old. He does act like a 15 year old. He acts like a teenager and it's just infuriating to me because I think on Thisbe you have to grow up quite quickly because just of the harsh environment and stuff yeah the fact that he is the way that he is I'm just like this is a choice that you've made and it's problematic yeah later during the storm they're all together and Gabe's actually happy and I know Puck has a moment where she sees that happiness and is just like oh he's not getting this from us but it's like more of a betrayal because it's like he never even tried yeah and there's this interesting thing in this as well where she says you know I can't talk to this Gabe I can't appeal to his emotions because I don't I don't know if he even has any. Yeah. She sees him almost as an other to the brother that she knew. Yeah. Well, his identity has shifted from what she believes it to be to something that's probably more in line with who he actually is. I think, you know, talking about identity, identities do shift and change. But when you spend a lot of time with people, you tend to move with them. Like you can see someone's identity changing or their values changing and you go with them or you don't. But because Gabe is so absent and it's just not a part of their lives, that is such a stark change. No frame of reference. Yeah. Some friendships don't survive distance because you need to be with people all the time to have that yeah yeah there's nothing to to anchor the the relationship anymore right yeah exactly well let's talk a little bit about identity okay well identity it's a lot going on oh yes (laughs) there's a lot of stuff i want to talk about um so i was thinking about how we identify ourselves and how people identify you so if you think about identity as like just an overarching perception thing 
Um, and also like identity as a, a, a means of affinity or similarity between things. Mm. So, you know, if you think about it, identical twins or a oneness, there's, a, there's something that ties them there because of identity. Yeah. And I think that Puck and Sean have a shared identity in a way on the island because they're both outsiders. Like Puck as a Connolly firstly, but then also later as a woman entering the race. Like yeah. she is very much outside. And then Sean has kind of always kept himself outside. Yeah, he's the expert and he's also, I think people view him as almost like Faye himself, you know, Mm. like he's so magic. He's so in tune with these water horses that he's got one foot in the sea. Yeah, yeah. Actually, maybe that's why people keep checking Puck on her goggle eyes because Sean's got one foot in the sea and they're going, oh, that's a good way to drown. Yeah, it's probably not that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one, actually. It's a good way to think about it. Also, I think it's really interesting how infamous and maybe just straight up famous Sean is. Like, all the tourists know who he is. Like, mm. you know, everyone on the island, if there's even the slight, a horse gets a paper cut, everyone's running to Sean, you know, like. <laughs> Where's Kendrick? Yeah. And then what that does for his identity as well as an expert. He's obviously very proud of his ability, but he's worked damn hard for it as well. Like, yeah. He's worked so hard. And he keeps getting injured because of it. Like, he's talked about having a jammed shoulder and a couple of healed ribs. Like, I think that he puts himself in danger in order to always do the right thing. But maybe he is the only one that people trust with this because he's the only one who actually gets in there and does it with the least amount of bloodshed. He just gets it done. Yeah. But he's still getting hurt. You just aren't seeing it because his fingers aren't getting bit off or whatever. Because of his magicness. Yeah. I thought that the Scorpio festivals, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, really sums up Thisbe's identity. Mm. Like, this is probably the purest representation we've seen of the island's heritage. Like, there was a little bit before about the stables and all these things being quite old, and you get that sense of magic in the air, but this is just everyone kind of just throws it open. You mentioned yesterday that there's a lot of paganism going on here that's really out and proud and loud that just isn't present elsewhere where people are mostly law-abiding and quite polite and there are rules that you follow and Mm. but it's much more like feral and sean talks about it um he says everything the races make me feel on the rock and on the inside is bleeding up through the seams in the street tonight so it's very much like it's the veil thinning you know how when they talk about the veil between the living and the dead on halloween and like that traditional thing i feel like this festival in particular is the veil thinning between the magic, the magical realm of Thisbe and the normal realm of Thisbe. Yeah. Um, but on the point, I think there's also a lot of performed identity in this chapter. Absolutely. A lot of, you know, you've got the goddess and whoever she might be yeah. in the mayor costume. And then you've got Peg, who is described as barely recognizable under her headdress. And I noticed that Puck mentioned how the... Her voice is different as well. Like, it's Mm. not her voice. It's not Pig's voice. So this is very much people stepping into this performance space. And the festival changes everyone. Like, it changes Finn. Like, he's acting in a way that he wouldn't normally change. Yeah, he's a little bit wild. He's very fast. He runs off with Jonathan Carroll, who's not the brightest bulb. Even as a baby, Finn was changed by the festival. Because Puck says that he's given this mask. And then he stopped crying. And then... He was just a little urchin then. Yeah. And Gabe. Gabe's also performing. He's performing for his friends. Whether he cares or not, or is just performing not caring to Puck is also up for debate. Yeah, he's not being a soft bro. No. Being the laddie. Well, not even that. He's being the antagonistic bro. Yeah, the kind of guy who's like super calm and debates with you and like tries to make you feel worse than worse than worse. Why are you getting upset? We're just, I'm just playing devil's advocate, that kind of bro. 
We talked about it a little yesterday, but I also think Puck kind of, she doesn't so much perform identity, but she loses identity a little bit in this because, you know, she's spending this time with Brian looking for Gabe. Mm. And then she's like, why am I doing this? You know, I'm a Connolly. I shouldn't be telling him the family secrets. I would never normally be wandering the streets with Brian. But she does tell him. She says Gabe's leaving. And then she decides not to tell him anymore because she doesn't really want to tell him the whole thing. I feel like that's a trust thing. Like, you just don't want to make yourself vulnerable. And Puck definitely doesn't want to make herself vulnerable. She already feels embarrassed all of the time. Why would she then make herself feel worse about the most intimate and profound things she has to think about? Mm. But she takes a chance. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned trust because I think the broken trust between Puck and Gabe is also just a major driving factor of everything. Yeah. Gabe's behavior makes Puck question her own identity because she doesn't know who he is. You know, yeah. she doesn't recognize her own brother anymore and therefore, well, who am I in context to that? Like, she struggles to place herself. And then because she, she can't trust Gabe, so yeah. she doesn't trust Finn anymore either. She's like, well, you know, I can believe anything of my brothers. And then, of course, Finn brings it back. Finn is so good. I think with the identity that she's experiencing, that crisis of identity she experiences in the pub bathroom where she's trying to get Gabe to just have a conversation with her haven't we all been there where we're like this is really important to me we need to communicate and they're just like no and I see that it's Gabe's protectiveness like I see that's why he doesn't want to have that conversation but it really frustrates me that Puck has to come to this realization in these terrible circumstances that she is now going to be the one who holds the family together and it doesn't include Gabe anymore Mm. and I think that's when we start to see part of a big shift for her where she's like well this is you know my responsibility is to make sure that Finn and I have a place to live and Dove has a place to live and we can feed ourselves yeah she's finally given up that Gabe will be able to settle and I think you know we talked about it a little before but this is how this is the moment when things really start to solidify for Puck because Suddenly, you know, she goes from, okay, so originally she entered the races to keep Gabe in, around, but now it's to keep the house, right? Like, yeah. it's no longer about Gabe. Gabe it's who? About, I actually, yeah, I actually have to win to keep the house. And so she solidified why she's in the race. She's solidifying her sense of self. Like, there's this moment when she's going up on the rock to do her little bit. And she's like, you know, I'm going to be fierce. As, I want to be as fierce as Pig Grattan, And yeah. I'm going to do this. And like, I'm, you know, I have my name and that's always been enough. And they can't tell me that I don't belong up here. Like she's so firm because she believes in herself. She knows that she's part of Thisbe. Yeah. And she's starting to really feel that more so than yeah. she did when she was part of the Connolly clan and just part of the Connolly clan. Yeah. It's really firming up for her, which I think as unfulfilling as that conversation with Gabe was now that you've mentioned it like it's probably a, a, it was needed for her to be like okay well guess it's just us now yeah she can start to actually move forward from that because she's not waiting on someone that's not going to turn up for her on any level yeah that, I mean that's the really hard thing right like you don't want to be let down by someone that you love it can also be really hard when you look up to someone so much and they just fail you it's just the complete lack of trying like that's what Mm. it feels like it's like he's just completely checked out he gives her nothing like nothing not even an attempt and that's what hurts you know and like he's like i can only do my best and she says that's not good enough and then you know it's one of those moments where i'm like are you giving your best game are you really trying i don't know i don't think he is i think he checked out and he's just saying what he thinks that he needs to say in order to get a clean to make a clean getaway but he just doesn't want the confrontation. He is just so conflict averse. He does not desire any conversations that don't go the way that he wants them to go. Um, And Puck is the same, but they just want completely different things from 
both of those conversations. Mm. I don't think it would make Gabe happy if Puck said, fine, leave. I don't think he would be happy about that. Like, it's uncomfortable that Puck wants him to stay, but it must be nice on some level that he will be missed and he knows he'll be missed. Another thing I wanted to say about identity is, you know, how is identity created? So often the early formation comes from our parents and children Mm. define themselves in terms of how they think their parents see them. There's quite a few little callbacks to that. Like Puck calls out Finn when he says, you know, oh, that's why mum called you the clever one. And she's like, no, she didn't. She called Gabe that. And so that's interesting because she's internalized that Puck's mum is kind of crucial to her identity formation. Like she taught her how to ride and she brought her to this festival. And I'm just wondering, you know, what impact did that have on who Puck is? Well, I love that we get this insight that she's not just a Connolly when she has the dream about her mother teaching her to ride and her mother says it's easier to get a barnacle off a rock than a Keown woman off a horse. So we already know that her mom still identifies as her family of origin. She's mm-hmm. not just a Connolly. Puck gets that more from her mother. She always wants to know more about her mom. She sees herself kind of becoming a bit like her mom. Yeah, and I think that comes through in this section as well because when Puck is challenged by these awful men when she's up on that rock mm. and... They're telling her, you know, come down, this isn't for you. The image that she has is of her mum and how, you know, in that moment, her mum was almost as part, like, you know, as one with the horse. She has this description yeah. and it's, that's where her mind goes and she goes, they cannot tell me I don't belong up here. It's so crucial to who she is. I love that she still has that connection with her mother, even though her mother is gone. Mm. I also feel like she's really let herself miss them and accept that yeah. they're gone in a way that Gabe just hasn't. Gabe's just not able to think about it. And you've picked that up before, the fact that she always refers to like dad's chair or mum's sweater or mm-hmm. this, that. She always subscri- subscribes the, the ownership. Yeah, she likes things to have a bit of history. She likes to know where things come from. She likes to know that they're getting the best use. There's something about honouring. Yeah, it, it reminds me a little bit of the the Murray Kondo. Like when you're getting rid of stuff, you're de- dashing as, and you're packing to move right now. So you're probably making choices like that. Or you have mm-hmm. to go, oh, I'm not going to keep this. And I'm doing the same with, I'm moving a few things around in my house. So I'm looking at the stuff going, oh, you know, it served me, but I just am going to have to let it go. But like saying thank you and then giving it away or saying thank you and then throwing it away. There's something to that that I think is really mirrored in how Puck approaches everything in her life. Yeah. She wants to hang on to the history of things because the history matters. Yeah. And yet... And yet, we see in this chapter, in this section, rather, also identity making through tradition, which is Mm. these boring Thisbe men clinging to their traditions and their histories because it challenges their identity. It challenges how they perceive themselves, right? Mm. They see themselves as men competing in this dangerous race. And as soon as they let Puck in, it like somehow emasculates them or some nonsense. Yeah. And it's like, I really struggled with that because I think so much of this whole ritual and so much of Thisbe is actually, it's a feminine energy. It's governed by a goddess and they refer to Thisbe as a she and, you know, all these things. And like the fact that men think they can come up here and say, hey, no, a girl can't race because we've just decided. There's no rule against it, but we've just decided. Yeah. (laughs) It's really annoying. It Yeah, it does feel like they're trying to cling on to the little bit that they have the little bit of leverage they have without actually understanding that they have none at all. I think it's really interesting that Sean sees through that right away Mm. and understands that just because it's always been a men's game doesn't mean it actually is. He he sees through to what actually the core of it is, right? He's Mm -hmm. like, you know, let the sea decide because it's not up to us. Well, and he picks right away that 
like he can't say for sure if they're betting against her for her pony or her gender like he says that right away Mm. and you get the feeling that he just doesn't care about it one way or the other like it just doesn't matter he thinks she won't win because she's on a a horse and not a water horse but he's also noticed what a good rider she is well she did bet him on his bayonet didn't she so (laughs) good thing he didn't (sighs) go down with that ship the only other thing i wanted to mention was just like this idea of identity formation through finding yourself um and like this as you've mentioned you know you've got a really strong sense of self yeah. and you've never had you've never had these moments where you're like who am i but i feel like we're seeing a lot of that in this chapter like Sean through his like desire and not knowing what he wants he's kind of going you know he's very much the island horse expert and mm. stuff like that but he still feels limited i feel a real kinship to Sean in this because he is still very firm on who he is um, but it's hard for him to recognize when things aren't enough anymore. Mm, like this is where yeah. I was seeing the biggest similarity in myself. I, I mean, yesterday we spoke about it and I said that I didn't know I had depression for a really long time because I was like, I'm not a depressed person. This is not a thing that I identify with myself. And it took a long time before I was able to like actually recognize like, yeah, okay, this is what depression looks like. And like, it's, you need to get help for it. And because I don't sit there and think critically about myself in those terms it was quite difficult for me to be like oh yeah I have depression and then once I folded it into that aspect of my identity I was like okay I'm a person with depression all right let's learn everything we can about it and then like keep going yeah (laughs) I think with Sean it's a bit the same like he hasn't figured out what it is he wants yet but he's just starting Mm. to cotton onto the fact that like something isn't right anymore I wonder if he's never allowed himself to want things before I feel that very deeply that he has not yeah or that he's told himself that he's doing fine or it's enough. Yeah, because if you want something, it can be taken away from you, right? Mm-hmm. So he's just like, mm, I just don't want anything. The thing I think is interesting is that Puck is also challenging her identity a lot in this. Mm. I think when the book started, she had a very clear sense of who she was. You know, she was a Connolly and she did all these things. And then she entered the races and suddenly it forced her to integrate more with other people in Thisbe. It started to think about her place a bit more and I think she's starting to and then you know obviously the interaction she's had with Sean her identity is still very much like shifting and changing and I think she's really embracing that I like it too I like that she gets so stern with the men who are trying to challenge her I hate them all (laughs) I hate them too but I think it's so valuable that she goes up there and challenges every single one of their comments and just makes it clear that she's just not gonna allow them to dictate terms to her that aren't on paper yeah and she's like you know why shouldn't i race my reasons aren't any less than anyone else's like everyone Mm. has their reasons so why not me well and i'm sure that hers are actually more valid like if we're gonna play that game if we're gonna play the game of like whose reasons are better Mm. sean is good at winning which is why he's in the races yeah he's it's his job mutt wants to be better than sean lots of them just race because they want that chance or the danger or something she's doing it because she needs to (laughs) yeah yeah she's doing it not because she wanted to but first because she wanted to keep her brother there for a little bit more time and secondly now she has to save her house like it is imperative that she race and win yeah so i think her reasons are probably better than most people's yeah. The interesting thing, I was thinking about this when I had my technical difficulties yesterday and just this idea of identity and how we see ourselves. So, you know, I am a perfectionist. I've mentioned this before and, you know, I value being good at my job and all mm. these things. So there was this moment where I realized that the recording hadn't gone the way it was supposed to. And there was this moment that really just challenged my sense of self and my self-perception as like being right. capable and doing all these things. And I was sitting here going, oh my gosh, I've made a mistake. Or I've done something wrong and Jenna's going to be so mad. And it was this thing where I was like, why would Jen be mad? 
She is not like that. But it's the way you project your own feelings onto another person. You're like, well, I feel like a failure in this moment. And therefore she's going to think I'm a failure. It's like, no, what are you doing? And that's like my personal growth is being able to recognize that and just be like, okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. What is going on here? It's catching yourself and going, hang on a second. This is not a good pattern. I just thought it was funny because like the section was identity. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) here we go. Here is identity at play. (laughs) <laughs> oh, well, I'm never mad at you for having technical difficulties. I would be scared of the same thing. Not because like, you have ever yeah, been mean yeah. about anything, but because, you know, we don't want to let down the people we care about. Yeah. That's, that's both true. a part of our identity that we like doing things right for the people that we love. If only Gabe had more of that. <laughs> um, Was there any kind of unrelated things that you wanted to talk about? Oh, I had a few. I think you had more than me, actually. I just love the line when Puck goes to confront Gabe on page 174. She says, my thoughts are scattered and gritty underneath my feet. I can Mm. only remember clearly my desire to hit him in the eye. And it just brought up those moments, you know, you've built up to a confrontation. It's been a big thing. You've been itching to have it. Yeah. You go in there, you're ready to go. And then in the moment, you just forget all the things you were going to say or the other person is just being so not the way you thought they were going to be. And now all of your, your carefully curated plans are out of the window and you just can't quite follow through with this plan and that feeling of just it's so frustrating you're frustrated with yourself the argument's not going the way i practice this in the shower yeah exactly (laughs) take notes puck just write it down next time and that way you can be like bullet point one i hated that as well how he was like well there's nowhere to have a private conversation here and i'm like stop being so obstinate and just like being unhelpful on every level he's just trying to avoid it so much he really doesn't want to talk to her i'm proud of her for persevering me too and also for not hitting him in the eye even though it would have been entirely justified it would have been very satisfying but Mm. violence is not the answer we use our words (laughs) I guess I want to talk about the people that she can depend on who are not complete jerks, right? Mm -hmm. So Brian is very nice and respectful, and he just seems like a good mate that Mm. maybe she didn't realize she had. Yeah. And she feels very ashamed that she doesn't know very much about him. But he actually goes with her and spends all this time trying to find Gabe with her, and she's like, this isn't fun. Maybe it's fun for Brian because he gets to do something useful. Like, I like being useful. That is fun for me. And why couldn't interesting also be fun? Exactly. And then in the pub, he, you know, he sort of steers someone away from being rude to her and lets her continue her search for Gabe. So he runs interference in a way that's like really respectful. Yeah. He doesn't endorse the misogyny. He just steers it right away. Um, And then we get that with Sean later when he speaks for her, how he says, Mm. let the sea decide. This island runs on courage, not blood. He speaks for her because he sees no one else doing it. I think he actually goes, well, this is nonsense. You know, the first time I read it, I got really annoyed that we had to have Sean, a man, speak up for her. The way he did it was, you know, he didn't say, well, I vouch for Puck because she's all right. He was like, no, this is not what the races are about. So it was not about... Yeah. It wasn't for him a gender thing so much, I guess. He wants to get on with it. And this was causing that to not happen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and look, also, I think maybe he's looking at this going, well, if Mutt Malvern can race, why couldn't Puck? Yeah. And it's interesting that people listen to him. Like, he he has quite a lot of power with all these things to do with Mm. the races. Like, he is, like, the expert, right? You know, it's not Peg who is doing the actual ritual. Like, you would think she'd be like, well, actually, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. But she waits to hear from these random men. And why? Who who are they? Who are they to to make this objection? I actually know the answer to this, but that's because I already started on our reading for next week. (laughs) (laughs) They're the race council. Oh, there's a race council. Yeah, so that's who they are. 
Um, yeah, I think the only extra things I wanted to talk about were that she actually does have a couple of allies. She has really terrible time with some guys, and she has a really nice, solid support network that she doesn't realize she has which is good yeah like elizabeth and dory maud even as well you know elizabeth goes to find her and she has this great line which i just loved you are lost aren't you dory maud said you wouldn't lose your way but i knew you would because for me that wasn't just about her literally not knowing when she was going that was like spiritually lost and emotionally lost and just i love that idea too i was thinking about that i was thinking about puck on this like imaginary crossroads kind of going well i don't know which way i'm going to go but she's just had a huge like i don't know landslide or something take out one of the roads Mm. so she's definitely not able to get she can't go forward like they were before that's not gonna happen yeah yeah it's not an option it's fair that she doesn't know where she's going elizabeth is mean but i kind of love her i also love her and i love the idea of them being like you know know, as you've mentioned before the witches from macbeth or like the fates you know the three sisters um was there anything you learned by studying these things that you'd want to reflect on? Yeah, the thing I took from this is that in our lives, we have opportunities to do good work and to be helpful. And I really do believe in that quote from Mr. Rogers, which is, you know, when disaster strikes, look for the helpers. Like, that is my mantra. I always want the thing I think first or to say first to be, how can I help? And I just really appreciated that we actually got to see some people helping Puck without a handout in return. Like Brian Carroll didn't want anything except the pleasure of her company. And even when she wasn't being particularly pleasant, he was fine with it. He just thought it was an interesting adventure to go on with her to find her brother. And it was very wholesome. How about you? What in this text called to you? I think it was just this idea of doing what's right by you um, and sticking to your guns and trusting your own intuition and your own sense of self I think instead of compromising who you are because it's easier for other people so you know Puck at the start of this is so uncertain she's uncertain of racing she's scared of the whole thing yeah but in that moment when she's on that rock and she's by the bonfire you know she really stands up for herself she says you know they can't tell me that I don't belong and that really resonated with me I think it's such a good reminder to just trust yourself trust your your heritage and trust your own convictions and just stand by your convictions I love that who would you like to spotlight this week um I'd like to spotlight just on that topic Puck because honestly the patriarchy needs to get in the seat yeah I think the fact that these men call her out in front of everyone like they didn't have this conversation before they knew she was going to turn up there they didn't have it in private or anything like that no they waited until she was up there ready to go through with this public display and then they call her out on it public humiliation but then also just expecting her to go quickly and quietly and then they're just so put out when she does when she doesn't and she becomes you know the difficult woman or the i always say the problem child also the fact that you know gabe's been that entire time telling her she's hysterical and she's just you know we've all been in that situation where someone's like oh you're just being hysterical or you're you know calm down I'm like oh I wasn't angry Mm -hmm. but now um yeah so I just want to spotlight Puck and just to all women out there still fighting the good fight trying to dismantle the patriarchy and standing up for themselves and being called difficult women that's what we need to be yeah so that's fine we'll keep being difficult how about you um this week it's Sean for me I kept seeing a lot of similarities between Sean's role as Mutt's unknowing caretaker and Gabe's failure to be that caretaker for his siblings. Gabe is not doing his job and he loves his siblings, right? Like he doesn't want Puck Mm -hmm. to race because she might get hurt and he 
doesn't want Finn to fret himself to death. But here we have Sean, who does not like Mutt Malvern, and yet has expended more than the required amount of energy to keep him well, healthy, alive, and racing for years. But he never stopped doing that job. Like, he mm. kept doing it right up until he couldn't anymore because Mutt changed the terms, right? So I just want to say, like, a shout out for anybody who is doing that work, even though it is really difficult and there's something really noble in just making sure that you are caring for another human being even if it is against their will yeah that's amazing actually i didn't think of it like that and you know there's probably parts of sean who wishes he would just would just disappear into the sea but he has to keep him around but he does he values human life like he values human life more than he values the lives of the kapalishka and like he loves he loves the water horses so much but he's kept Mud alive, and I think there's something really great about that. So um, well done to people like Sean. Well done to Sean for sticking with it as long as he could. Yeah, that's a hard job, and it's amazing it that people And do he that. doesn't even like Mud. Like, he has no obligation to keep doing it, and he keeps doing it. Not, not because he's being paid to, because it's actually the right thing to do. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's the right thing to do. So next week we'll be reading chapters 33 through 40. Through the themes of loneliness and desperation. Oh, it's going to be a dark one. But I think our friend George Holly makes another appearance, so I'm really excited about that. Oh, good. I, I didn't miss him in all this. Like, I want to know what he thought of the festival. I bet he was loving it. We'll see. We'll find out. All right. <laughs> Thank you for potting with me. I feel so lucky we got Thank to you do this for twice. I know. Thank you so much for uh, joining me again and, like, having yet more in-depth chats. It's always a highlight. It was good. I think we covered a lot more different stuff today, too, which was really fun. Yeah. Very varied, which is great. I'll see you next week, then. I'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at marginaliapod.com.